Hey God, we love you so much. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace, God. Lord, we are, we are faced with the reality of so much need right now. We are faced with the reality of, of just hurt. We're also faced with the beauty of, of compassion and, Lord, of love and of selflessness. And we know that all of that is from you. And we thank you that what we see, that your grace is needed for those who, who are out of their homes and have lost everything and for those that, that made it through unscathed, God, because our satisfaction is not in this world. So, Lord, as we just come to your word today to, to understand how you've called us to be a part of your mission uh, in this world, Lord, as this local church, Lord, that you would give us great unity, you would give us courage and humility, and, Lord, that we would just um, find great joy in the life you've given us, in great purpose, uh, in this, this journey that we are on as we are being transformed by you for your glory, God. So we give you this time, Lord, be glorified. We thank you for a place to gather in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's, it's Vision Sunday. We do this twice a year. We do it every September and we do it every January. Um, and that's kind of the natural rhythms that it happens. And, and why do we do this? And I think about kind of the, the voyage of, of a ship navigator, you know, the, the, the long transoceanic journeys of a ship. And if you think about if, as, they're, as they're plotting their courses and as they're going along, you know, the, 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 the ocean is this fluid thing, right? I mean, like it's, there's waves and there's winds and you, you got to think they don't just travel in an exact straight line. But you got to think they have a starting point and they have a destination they have to get to and they plot their course. And so you have to know that every now and then, as far as if you were to say from point A to point B is a straight line, sometimes they just divert off that course a little bit. And what happens if they don't correct their course? Even though it's the most minuscule just adjustment to their course, it's like just millimeters on a map, if you play it out to the end, they miss their destination, I mean, astronomically. And so if they don't correct their course, they end up in, in utter destruction in the scope of what they were there for, whether it's, you know, <laughs> hitting land or whether it's just missing their purpose. And so that's the same for us. We need course correction on a regular basis. We are forgetful people. Vision leaks in us. I mean, it just, it just is so hard to stick. We, we're called to be people who remember. And so the, the more that we can the more that we can remind each other who we are in Christ and who the church is and who we are as we've held compelled and called in this community, the healthier we will be, the more impactful for the gospel of Jesus we will be, and, and, the, and the better we will be at uh, seeing the world come to know the hope of Jesus. So that's why we do this often. So, so we're excited about this. I want to share a few observations. Look at Acts 2, 42 through 47 and kind of show our vision and mission, how our vision and mission as a church comes, uh, just comes from God's heart. Um, so, you know, as we think about Vision Sunday, we, we hope to get a view of God's design and, and desire for his, his church and how we as this local congregation can lay our lives over that purpose. Because the church is meant, the church is meant to be God's manifest presence in this world, which he glorified, for him to be glorified in which people come to find redemption in Jesus Christ. So we are, we are the expressed character of God. We are, we are Christ in the flesh, and we are also the strategy in which God works and seeks to redeem the world in Christ. So we've been going through a lot the past couple of weeks here in Houston. A lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of chaos, 
a lot of beauty. I mean, just to see the people responding. And, and, and you hear a lot of things. One of the things I've, I've heard a lot is the statement, you know, man, gosh, it's so beautiful. My, my faith is being restored in humanity. Has anybody heard that? And, and, and I get it. I get it because we see these pictures of beauty and we see people just giving of themselves and in such selfless ways. And, and, and I just want to point something out for, to align the posture of our hearts and how we pray. It, it is not our faith in humanity that should be being increased. Because left to ourselves, we will only serve ourselves. We will only seek what is comfortable for us. What we are seeing is the Imago Dei. We are seeing the image of God because all that was created was created by God out of love for His glorious purpose. And so when we see what we're seeing now, what is beautiful is that we're actually getting a glimpse. The world is getting a glimpse through God's common grace, through His creation of His promised work of love to restore all things. We're actually getting a glimpse of the promised kingdom. That's what the world is getting to see. They're not seeing the beauty of, of, human, of humanity. They're seeing the beauty of God's heart for His creation through His people that He created out of love for His glory. So as we go forward, man, be in awe of what we're seeing, but be in prayer that, that the scales of people's eyes would be taken away, that they would be humbled and see the beauty and the grace and the love and the, and the, the relentless action of our God. That it's not humanity that brings beauty, that it is His love. And so, let's be prayerful for that. It's just, it, it struck me like a lightning bolt. I'm, it, I've been in, you know, we, we, we've seen it. I mean, I'm, I love that these are the things that our world is celebrating. I love that this is what people are noticing about Houston and how they're saying, hey, the Houston can teach our country a lesson. I love that because what they don't know is that they're saying, here is the love of God. Here is the love of God. This is common grace. So, the Imago Day is in full view, so don't miss it. Be prayerful about that. Pray that this would be used for his glory and for people to awaken to the reality of the promise of Jesus. Another observation quickly, oh my goodness. We, we, uh, we helped a family recently who attends a Universalist church. They were the only family in their church that flooded out. And when we showed up, no one from their community, from, from their church community, had come to help them. And as we served in their cul-de-sac that they lived in, I looked around, and there, because of, I looked around, and, and, and there was, there was houses full of multiple gospel communities just stepping into people they didn't know. Our church was there. There were neighbors that had lived there a long time ago that were believers that had come back to their neighbors to help them. Uh, we had a crew of 13 guys from, from the Aggie crew, the A&M crew that came along, and, and then we had um, another organization from here in Houston that focuses on serving like the, the Fifth Ward and A-Leaf um, and doing community development and discipling those who are there and, and ultimately trying to plant churches. It was just a beautiful picture of the response of the church. And as I thought about it, I was like, it, just, it was so clear that you can put church on, on a name, but it's, that's not what gives the church its identity. The identity of the church comes from Jesus Christ. And so when you, see, when you see this outpouring of the church, we are pointing people to Jesus. And sadly, we do see churches under the name of Jesus that shouldn't have that title, right? Because they, they deny that. But yet, I got, it was beautiful to see the beauty of the church. It was heartbreaking to, to see um, this family hurting and feeling alone. But I'm also grateful because I pray 
that this would be a chance for, for their eyes to be open to God's, again, God's promise in Christ alone. So, calling something a church doesn't make it a church. But living under Christ, following Him, living out that identity is what gives the church its identity. So this is the church, and this is the way the church is to go about its mission of living out the gospel of Jesus. It happens in the everyday, the unexpected. It's just natural. So let's read our text really quick. Acts 2.42-47 through says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful, amazing picture of the church and the impact in the world. So if we can anchor on anything as a community, as our focused activity together, let it be verse 42. That we devote ourselves to the teaching that God has given, that, that, we, that we devote ourselves to fellowship, that that fellowship is more than just coming together in surface ways, but it's actually the breaking of bread is a picture of a truly intimate sharing of life. The, t- the table is an intimate place. It's, it's vulnerable. You're sitting down. You're, you're, you're susceptible to attack. You can't respond quickly. You're trusting one another. So it's, it's, it's this vulnerable coming together, being generous, partaking with gratefulness, and then to prayer. Let's, if, if we, if we want to anchor on anything about what we're going to strive to be expressed in our time together, let's let it be those things. Verses 42 through 46 describe their life together. Let's look at the inputs. The inputs we see, kind of what, what are the ingredients? What are the pieces that go into to, to their life together? In verse, in verse uh, 42, which we already looked at, we see those things. In verse 43, we see a sense of awe, of wonder, because again, it all starts with the work that God has achieved in Christ outside of ourselves. It's the, that awe and the wonder comes from humility. It comes from a reverence for God. So we, so we see that as a marker. We also see that it was marked by just them being together, that formula of proximity in space, close proximity in time. We see in verse 44 that they had all things in common. Now, and verse 45 talks about stuff, so when I think about verse 44, it's, it's the unity that had shifted from being held together by their likeness, by common interest, to now being held together by the likeness they share in Christ. All of a sudden, their bond is not just that they have the same things to talk about, whether they have kids or the same job or the same hobbies. All of a sudden, there's a deeper unity because of the likeness we've all been given in Christ. And then in 45, we see this picture of the beauty, the beautiful selflessness of a family who cares about one another, who's not willing for one to suffer in the family, who's willing to take responsibility. They, had all, they, they were sharing all of their possessions as any had need. And then in 46, they were gathering in common faith and worship of God to worship and learn. So three things we summarize, kind of what we see here that, that we talk about, you'll see in your partnership handbook if you read it, but we talk about the desire as a people, as a local congregation, to share life in the ordinary ways and days, to share worship that we gather intentionally and purposefully to learn and to exalt the name of Jesus and, and to come before the Almighty God in humility and all. And that we share sacrifice. 
that we serve together. We serve one another and we serve this world from here, right here in our neighborhood to the ends of the earth. So we want to share life, we want to share worship, and we want to share sacrifice as a people. So these are the inputs. But before we get to the output, I want us to do an exercise. So do real quick, if you could, on a blank piece of paper, draw this, this little graph L. All right, we're going to do three of these, so if you want these to fit on one paper, um, and if you have an imagination and you don't want to get off piece of paper, that's fine. It's, a, it's an exercise. But we're going to do three of them, so if you are drawing you want to fit on one paper, just be aware. That was always frustrating to me when I would start taking notes, and then I would have to like, figure out how to make it fit. So what we're going to do is we're going to plot where we think we are. If you're part of the bridge, we're going to plot where you see the bridge to be in these values. If you're not a part of the bridge, you're part of another community, maybe plot that one. If you're, if you're kind of just in this space between, maybe just plot from your perspective what you see the, the, the capital C church kind of in our culture to focus on, okay? Okay, so hopefully that's fine. So, so first, we're going to look at these two variables, the teaching and the transforming. As a church, do you think we put more emphasis on teaching, coming together and learning information, or on the transforming uh, see, seeing the change happen, seeing it applied, seeing it lived out. So just kind of put a dot where you think those two converge. So if you think it's high teaching, it would be up high. If you think it's high transforming, it would be to the right. And wherever those two, conform, you know, or low, if, wherever they cross, put your point. Okay? All right. Ten more seconds. Okay. If you're drawing, do another L. Do another graph. Our next two variables are going to be love God, love people. So now do the same thing. Are we about loving God, which is about kind of the expressed kind of di disciplines and activities of, of being a people of God? Or are we about loving people, kind of the social justice, the serving, the compassion, um, those kind of things? Are we more about looking like the uh, gathering, kind of doing church things, or more about being out in the community? kind of messed that up because the next one is love our church and love our community. It's hard to make. They're, set, they're different. Um, but it's here. Okay, so the next one's love our church, love our community. And so, again, our, do we focus more on the internal care or the external expression? Our community being outside of our church community. Okay. So, so where do you think the church should plot. Where does a healthy church plot on these matrices? And we probably all sense that it's probably going to be the same for all three. And so I'm guessing we're all going to say kind of high and to the right, right? So I would say that's correct in a sense, but actually let's see the, the, the truer visualization of this. Go ahead and put up the truer visualization. Yes. So for this, what we will see is that it is always a direct correlation. So if we are low on, on teaching, we will be low on transforming. If we're low on loving God, we will not love people. If we're low on loving our church, we will not be effective at loving our community. And then the opposite of that is if, as we grow in those expressions, we will, as we grow in those um, experiences of, of, of learning and of fellowshipping with God and fellowshipping as the body of Christ, we will actually see our capacity and effectiveness of being transformed, loving people, and loving community actually rise at exactly the same um, interval or whatever you want to call it. Some, someone smart, give me the right word. 
rate. Gosh, that was difficult. <laughs> Four letters. I've got huge words. Okay, um, so a few of you know what that is. Uh, but that, that, is, that is the reality. And this is our, this is, this is our promise even. Um, so although we may perceive you know, that, that, that there's kind of this place that we rest, and, I, and that's because we observe with human eyes, we can actually see that God has given us this compelling view that as we pursue Him, His output is that He achieves the work that we desire. and We don't have to choose. We choose Him and He brings the fruit. And, and there's some proof for this, that kind of the, this internal feeding results in the external, in the external impact John 13, 34, and 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. So we see that this internal work actually brings the external fruit. John 17, 21 through 23 says, that they may all be one, just as you, this is the church they're talking about, that John's talking about, Father uh, Jesus is talking about, so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you love me. So again, we see that as we, as we are in Christ and we are, are growing in Him and as we are learning to love, love Him, we are actually compelled to love one another, to build each other up, and then also through that, the world sees the glory of God in Jesus and they're changed. So we talked about the inputs and the outputs of, of Acts 2, you know, 42 through 47. We looked at the inputs of, of 42 through 46, we see the output of verse 47, and it's just carrying the same, same thought forward. And verse 47 says, praising God and having favor with all the people. So that's the end of their expression. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see the output? All of this internal input results in, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were in awe of the work of Jesus. It was a characteristic of their life. We'll see in just a few chapters that grumbling and conflict came into the church. Acts 2 is a glorious picture of the church that we will always rightly long for, but will probably never fully experience. And I say that not to make you lower your expectations, but I say that to say we need to have grace. Because we have two options when it comes to living to truly, if you just attend, kind of step in and step out, you won't face the frustration. But if you, if you come into the fabric of this community, you will. I remember when we were preparing to plant this church, we would, one day someone asked, Heath, why do you talk about conflict so much that's to come? And I was like, because it's going to come. And no one would be prepared, and, you know. And it was like, it just seems kind of morbid. I was like, yeah, I, I know. But it, it's going to come. And we were kind of in that Acts 2 period of kind of like, man, we're all common vision. We're all excited. We've all, we've all got the vision, and we're all just dreaming together and planning together. But man, it gets real. So we have two options. We can get frustrated. We can complain. We can backbite. We can get passive. We can cause division, all of those types of things. Or we can be grateful for the grace given each of us that results in our personal awe and wonder of God and be grateful for the church God has given us and be a part of helping the church be beautiful. 
That's our two options. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, the church we want is the enemy of the church we have. And I was like, oh, I heard that. And I was like, gosh. And then I read this. Oh, and it's just another punch. Uh, this is from a book by Bill Hull called Conversion and Discipleship. And he presents this idea and then quotes Bonhoeffer. So I'm going to read that. Sorry I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it. So tune in as best you can. Bill Hull says this. However, it did not take long for this perfect church to begin breaking down. He's talking about the church in Acts 2. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. That's in Acts 6.1 in the New Living Translation. These rumblings in Jerusalem were a prelude to the many corrective letters that Paul would later write to his churches throughout Asia. Disillusionment has always been part of church experience. And one reason is that the claims and promises of Christianity are beyond our own capacity to achieve. He says, our idealized... Christian community is often far from reality, and a fixation on the shortcomings of our churches will only lead to constant disappointment. So then he points to Dietrich Bonhoeffer talking about this disillusionment and the importance of acknowledging uh, it and moving ahead. He says, Bonhoeffer says, the sooner this moment of disillusionment comes over the individual and the community, the better for both. You're like, wait, can we just avoid it? No, sorry. So let's just let's get through it. However, a community that cannot bear and cannot survive such disillusionment, disillusionment, clinging instead to its idealized image, when that should be done away with, loses at the same time the promise of durable Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. Every human idealized image that is brought into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be broken up so that genuine community can survive. Those who love their dream of Christian community more than Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal interests may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. As I thought about that, and I thought about these last two weeks, like, guys, you don't know how much sleep I lose and how much stress I feel. I have never been a stressful person. My Amber had to teach me how to recognize stress. I just didn't know that I was ever stressed. I, the things that stress me out, the things that I lose sleep over are the, the questions of, are we as a church doing what we're supposed to do? Are we doing it right? Is everybody responding the way they should? And I sit and I, and I toil and I sweat and I get angst and I get frustrated. And, it's, and, and I've noticed that in these last two weeks, like none of that. And, and, and I think of this statement I've heard, if you're, if you're busy rowing, you won't have time to rock the boat. And, like, and, and, and it's because I've just been living out. Like, I don't have the space to get in the way. I've just been, like, the, the, the call of grace is on all of our lives as the church. And we're just out there, and we're living out the image of God. We're living out the grace of Jesus. And I'm not concerned with how we're doing as an organization. And it's beautiful. Like, I'm, I come in here, I was just talking to Priscilla, and I was like, I love that my body is weary, and I am, like, more joyful than I've ever been in a long time. Like, I, <coughs> I, um, I mean, I, it's liberating. Mm. I mean, like, our, our call as a church is not to teach each other how to be church people or how to talk about what we're supposed to do. It's to live it out and to celebrate who we are in Christ and what he's doing. That's it. And so, like, this beautiful wreck of, of, of a couple of weeks is so good for me, and I know it's good for his church. And if we want to see the beauty of church, like this, the beauty of the church, this is our opportunity, is that when we see this picture in Acts 2, and we see what we're compelled to in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
like we see this, and behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. We see that, to, you know, because we, we use the vernacular a lot of, we're here, we're, we're to make disciples, make disciples, make disciples who make disciples, and we get caught up in like, how do you do that? Okay, so what lessons do I need to teach? What books do we need to read? What, what events do we need to do? What programs do we need to facilitate? And, and instead, it's like the simple call that we're given in Scripture of follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what it is to disciple, to make disciples to the, these people in Acts 2 that we're reading about. That's what, that's what facilitated this beautiful community that we see and that we long for, is that it was a people that said, hey, you know what? I am in Christ. I supernaturally trust him with all that I am in my life. And so for that, he is worthy of my life. I'm going to follow him, live out his ways as I grow and I learn and I'm sanctified. And I'm going to invite others into that. So get on my hip. I'm following Jesus. This is our mission statement. We commit to a journey of transformation together toward Jesus for the glory of God. We're called the bridge because our lives are to be intentional lives where we work to make connections with people. Then we walk across that bridge, come alongside shoulder to shoulder. And as we pursue Jesus, that person walking with us will be transformed by Jesus, not us requiring our transformation first, not us requiring, say, change, then you can come. Get pretty, then you can come. It is get alongside and let the beauty of Jesus woo them in and transform them, transform them in the gospel as they surrender. So, like, follow me as I follow Christ. Our mission trip to Italy was, we literally just, I, don't, I think I've talked about it before in here, but we inserted into the life of the Lukers. Like, it was the weirdest mission trip I've ever done. Like, it was like, we, we woke up, we'd eat breakfast at a restaurant that he frequented, then we'd walk around the city and meet friends and people that he had relationships with, then we'd hang out in a bar, and then we would go do ESL with students, and like, it, and we'd hang out in homes, and, and it was just, like, it was like, is this a mission trip? Is this okay? Like, are we okay? Like, I, I don't know, but the, there, and I, I, don't, I won't go into all the fruit, but there was amazing fruit. Like, you don't expect to see any result of your work when you go to a mission trip in, in places like that in Europe. You just expect to be part of the process and trust the sovereignty of God working through those that are there every day. But I was challenged. I was like, man, what if someone came to Houston and inserted into what I do every day? And, like, they just did it. Like, what? would the impact be for them? And I was like, well, they would know how to run a church. They would know how to plan and strategize. You know, and, and they would know how to get coffee with people, which is, and I do that a lot. And I love, and I won't stop. Um, but it was so challenging. I was like, man, so, if, and I, I just asked this question, if someone were to attach to your hip, to my hip for a month, and followed all that we did, would they be closer to being a follower of Jesus or something else? And that's a gut check, but it's also a beautiful simplicity. For those who have been changed by Jesus, that's the simplicity of your life. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. Like you, The invitation is follow Jesus. He transforms you. You're being sanctified. You're being made more like him. And so just if you want to know what it is to make disciples, follow Jesus and put someone on your hip. And let them learn that way. That's what's been beautiful about these two weeks. That's all we've been doing. It's like we've been responding to the image of God restored in us in Christ in this world. And we haven't worried about what we're supposed to be doing. We've just been doing it. And it's, so, like, I pray that this posture, this urgency carries forward. Because when the need goes away, when the houses are cleaned out and the homes are restored, the need has not changed. Let's remember where our satisfaction is. It's not in this world. Let's remember where our hope is. It's not in this world. You, as the church, as the people of Jesus, those who were 
who were rebels, now adopted as sons and daughters, those who were sinners, now made saints, those who have been set apart, called, called to his holy purpose for his glory. Because of Jesus, it is an identity. And so we, we think about maturity resulting in us being outside of the church doing mission. Maturity feeds us into the body of Christ, and we're sent every moment of every day. We're always out there. So, our, so that's the picture of what we're called to. So, let's, so as the church is follow me as I follow Jesus, and it's, it's a gut check, but it's liberating. It's all. And we, we, we plan, we work, we create spaces for lives to intersect. We, we organize what we teach. We're going to keep doing that. But our posture must be the simplicity of this reality. So quickly, just how do we summarize kind of in our words those priorities? You already heard me say our mission statement, we commit to a journey of transformation together toward, toward Jesus for the glory of God. Personal pursuit. It's a personal, it's intentional. We are on this journey ourselves. We, we, we commit to do it together as the church because it is always meant to be exp expressed in the plurality. We, we, uh, we do it for the glory of God in the name of Jesus um, for, the, for the sake of those who are lost. Invite them in. Our core values, we're committed to multiplying disciples in churches for God's glory. We commit to live together in biblical community, just meaning the, pursuing this picture with grace and humility and gratefulness, being a part of caring for one another. It is no one else's job but yours. Um, living missionally to our community, meaning having the posture of a sent people. As Jesus said, as I came into the world, I have sent them into the world. So that's the wave to our neighbor, to our coworkers, to the ends of the earth being intentional to build relationships, to connect them to gospel community, the body of Christ, walking alongside them to faith in Christ, walking alongside them to maturity in Christ to the point where they can go and do the same. Living under biblical authority, this word is truth. We find our way, our identity. We understand God. We, we live under the authority, not our own. And because of that, we can live in biblical freedom, first personally in our salvation, but also socially and, and relationally, where we can go where the need is. But I do want us to hear from a few stories of kind of everyday disciples and from, from, from those that are amongst you. So we're going to start with Megan Reedy. Okay, so I was um, asked a while back to have done this, and then another email went out, and I like waited a few days before I responded. I was like, I'm, I'm willing. I'm willing to do it. I don't necessarily desire to, but I am willing. Um, <laughs> But I also have the desire because God um, has done just a really miraculous work in my life, um, and I just have to point all of that to him. Um, so I'm supposed to keep this to about five minutes, and I'm like, how do you keep the miraculous work of the Almighty God to five minutes? But I desire to do that. So um, anyways, uh, I grew up kind of culturally Christian, was raised in the South, and um, pretty much always knew of the church. Um, went to church until I was about 12 and it was even confirmed, um, kind of like the Catholic uh, catechism that for Lutheran it's being confirmed. Um, and so I remember one of my verbal tests was like, how are you saved? Um, and I'm like, Jesus. But it wasn't an understanding. <laughs> it was just a response of, if you believe in Jesus, you are saved, period, point blank. So I was like, Jesus. Um, and that never really clicked for me um, for most of my life, actually, um, until I, when I got to college, um, it's interesting that we're going through Romans because Romans is just a lot. Romans 1 specifically is the worst thing that God could do for you is give you everything that you desire in a time in your life when you're going to idolize it. 
Um, and so I kind of had everything that I desired, um, and that was really short-lived, <laughs> um, which prayed God, like, that it was short-lived because I was idolizing it. Um, and so my second semester of college just got very dark um, in a multitude of areas from, um, you know, an unhealthy relationship to just identifying with so many things um, in my life that I was, I was idolizing and finding my identity in um, academics, making sure that I always had a 4.0, and I was a college athlete, so um, if I wasn't a starter, I was pretty much worthless, and um, everything within my relationships that was told in the relationships was identifying me, and so um, my identity was not rooted in Jesus, and so it was in everything else of the world, um, and uh, all of that kind of got stripped. Um, my identity was ugly, and it was dark, and um, I graduated with a degree in accounting, and so I kind of started falling in my grades um, that sophomore year. I hurt, I tore my shoulder um, my sophomore year of college, and so, like, there went my softball career, because literally, just things were just taken, um, and I'm thankful because that led to my identity in Jesus. Um, I went to church not because I felt like I needed a savior, but I was like, everything looks horrible. Um, and if I go to church, I'll look like I'll have it together. So I went to church, and the sermon was um, the woman who committed adultery, in which Jesus says, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. Um, I do not condemn you, but go on and sin no more. And I was like, okay, so if there's a God, um, and he's the only one that can condemn me and send me to this fiery place, um, he's actually telling me that he loves me, and he um, just doesn't want me to sin anymore, and he wants to restore me and give me new life. Um, and I didn't get all of that then, but I was like, I'm not, I'm okay. Like, if there's a God, I'm okay. Um, and so in that process, just um, sophomore year was a lot of pulling back and forth of good and evil, and just the Lord put his stamp on me, and he said, you're mine. Um, and that victory was won, and my life has just continued to be transformed by that. Um, the kindness of his grace of looking back and seeing who I was and how I did not desire him and um, the things that I took part in, that nothing I took part in was really honorable at all to the Lord, um, that he would meet me in that place and say, like, I do love you, and I do have plans for you, and I want to restore you. Um, and it doesn't matter if you've identified with all of this and you've lost all of this, like, because I am who I am and I am constant, um, I will use you for my glory. Um, and that has been completely shown um, in my life, and it's not because of who I am, it's because he is who he is. Um, and that community that stepped in in college did that, that he even used his people in the body of Christ um, to say, like, hey, we know the things that, like, you may be partaking in, but we love you, and we want to walk alongside you in that. Um, and my community then did that and continues to do that now that I've been here. Um, so I just, like, the Lord has done this miraculous work, and um, when I think back and look, like, on that kindness and that grace, um, I am just, like, I'm forced to movement. Um, I can't help but share the goodness. I remember um, in college still kind of partaking in some of the things that I was doing, um, but sharing the good news because it was good news. Um, and by the end of college, there were six people that, like, were baptized um, that I had met, like, 
on a Saturday night at, you know, 1 a.m. saying, like, hey, you should go to church with me. Um, And it didn't matter how broken I was, and it didn't matter that I didn't know what I was doing, but because God was who he was, he led um, me to do those things and say those things, and, like, because he is who he is, he worked in their heart, and, like, that's just a praise. Um, So when I came to Houston, I... uh, Houston is very diverse, and um, I work with a lot of people that don't believe in the Lord. Um, but because he is so good, um, like, how can you not tell? Like, this transforming thing. I, I remember looking at someone that didn't believe and said, like, this has changed my life. I was walking in darkness, and my life did not change. The environment did not change, but I saw everything in new light, and everything was fresh, and everything was breathing, and everything was alive. Um, And he's like, I don't get it. And I'm like, I know you don't, but because I care about you, I have to tell you about this. Um, Like, that is like tasting the best thing you've ever tasted and not telling your best friend about it. Um, And so that is just the way that the Lord um, has changed my life and drives me every day um, to desire to tell people about the transforming works of Jesus. Um, and that he is good, and he is constant, and everything that you identify yourself in will fail you. Um, so anyways, that being said, I um, I love the Lord, and the Lord has changed me, and it is his love that has driven me to desire to tell people about him. Um, and he's used community, and then he's used me in ways that I can't see. Um, but that's because he is who he is. Um, and so that being said, that is kind of my um, overdrawn testimony in a nutshell. Um <laughs> kind of like a short glimpse, um, and so I'm just, like, thankful for him and thankful that he gives me people to, you know, be able to do that journey, so um, I and think I'm supposed to pass the, the mic to Will and Cammy. so. Um, good morning, I'm Will. Uh, Will Jones. I'm a doctoral candidate in the history department at uh, Rice University. Um, and I think I'm going to speak first, and then my wife, uh, Cammie, will speak. So um, I, I was thinking about how to communicate this, um, and I figured the best way would just talk about two overarching themes uh, that God has done in my life. Um, one that is that he's been active uh, in my life, whether I knew it or not. Um, and even though I was living in rebellion against him. And throughout my life, especially the past three or four years, he has used his perfect timing to close doors and make sure there's really only one open door for me to walk through, right? And so I won't go into all the details, but, I mean, it took an email being sent at the exact right time on a train platform in Chicago to me to end up, being here, coming to this church, right, living in Houston. Um, and, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy journey. I, I, the, the second one is that stepping out and doing things that I thought I wasn't spiritually prepared to do uh, has always proved rewarding. And so that, that goes from attending church for the first time three years ago, this church, uh, right? I, I, I've been telling Cammie, like, I love, I'm, I'm starting to love affirming people, and um, I've, I've told Heath this before, but I, I heard the gospel for the first time from either Heath or Cammie, 
and it happened either in those seats here on a Sunday um, or at Rice. And, um, you know, I, I, he, he brought me to, to Houston, he brought me to this church, and he surrounded me with you guys. And, and he was talking today about, you know, living like Christ and that, like, that being a huge part of, of making disciples and, and just being around the members of this local congregation, not as a Christ follower, never going to church before in my entire life. I did not know the gospel. Um, I did not know God. I did not know Jesus. The combination of hearing and reading and being taught God's word for the first time in my life and seeing it lived out among you guys, I mean, I, I can't, it's immeasurable, um, the, the miracle that, that that did. And so he continues to um, just work miracles through me kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? begrudgingly doing things that I don't think I'm prepared to do. Um, whether, <laughs> whether that's, that's uh, you know, something like this, or, or leading, leading a small group um, here at church, or, you know, talking about God, talking about my life with, with colleagues at Rice. Um, so those are all, I think, those two themes there, God working in my life, even though I don't necessarily know it, and the Holy Spirit showing up and just carrying me in moments when I don't think I'm prepared to do it, um, are just great evidence of just God's grace. Um, so that's, that's what I prepared. That's what I have for you guys. Hi, I'm Cammie. Um, it seems to be kind of mutual that none of us were, like, super excited to do this. Um, but Heath sort of has a way of asking people to do things, and you just say yes, because um, it kind of seems like Jesus just asks you to do it. So, um, so yeah, so we're here. Um, and um, Heath actually asked us to share about um, a, kind of a specific question of how is God's grace working in our life, or how has God's grace worked in our life, and how has that grace moved us to help others? Um, and I would much rather him have just asked me to share my testimony, because that's memorized, and it's a lot easier. Um, but it's really good that he asked about, like, how is God's grace working in my life right now? Um, because I have been uh, in desperate need of just seeing God's grace in my life and um, accepting it. And I think, like, Will brought up um, just themes in our walk with God, and a theme in my walk with God is just um, being offered God's grace every day and then rejecting it and um, just not being willing to see it, not being willing to see it come from other people. Um, and so, yeah, the last three months have been sort of a roller coaster of emotions for me. Um, we got married in June, and Weddings are super fun and joyful, but um, what only Christians tell you is that they're followed by, like, three really hard months of, um, or more, or years, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're just followed by a lot of um, exposure of your sins, exposure of your spouse's sins, and um, just, like, those sins piling on top of each other every day, and then... Um, 
and then like other people sin against you and you bring that into your home and um so yeah that's just really hard um and like feelings that you have of like anger or sadness um or hope like all of those just reach new depths in your heart um and so on top of that I spent the summer raising support to go on staff with um crew at Rice which is formerly Campus Crusade um so a lot of that struggle with the Lord was just trusting that his plans were good um, through financial insecurity and then um, trying not to reduce, like, many of you to a dollar sign when I thought about you in my brain. Um, and, and so those things just totally, like, were really hard to work through. Um, and then once I got on staff with crew, um, I've just consistently struggled with, like, placing boundaries in my life um, to protect my marriage without being selfish, um, and then trying to identify with people when their problems don't really seem, like, real to me, um, or um, even just working on a team um, has been just a lot, a lot of learning and grace. Um, but grace has always been the key to drawing me back to Jesus. Um, when I don't have any grace left for other people, he does, and um, when I withhold grace from myself, he definitely doesn't, um, and it was God's grace that brought me Will when I believed that marriage was something that only more pure women than me deserved, um, and it was grace that, um, pulled me out of grad school when I was angry and selfish and called me into ministry where I'm still angry and selfish, um, and then it was, was, yeah, by grace that, um, God gave me what I needed to minister to, um, people at Rice where they really need to hear who Jesus is. Um, so it's usually Will that points out to me that I don't accept grace very well. Um, and I can really spend, like, great amounts of time just wallowing in how much I deserve the natural, natural consequences of my sins. Um, but God's grace is sharp enough to pierce through, like, any dense fog of self-loathing that I can create for myself. Um, it's wide enough to cover all of my sins. Um, and so even though this grace seems really, like, raw and present to me, it's really not, and um, it really helps me to know that, like, that grace was extended to me, like, thousands of years ago. When Jesus um, died on a cross, I died with him, um, and when he was resurrected, I rose to new life with him, and I was justified in him, um, and so now what I'm learning is that instead of wallowing in my sins, um, which are really frequent and really heavy, I can um, just ask as Paul did in Romans 8, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Um, and so, yeah, the way that that's kind of moved me to help others is that I just want every person to have the comfort of um, just knowing that no one can bring a charge against those who God have I'm just extremely excited to share my testimony. <laughs> Couldn't be more excited, actually. Um, yes, yeah, so I think my testimony in general would just be that God has woven an unmistakable thread through my entire life, and there are so many things I could share with you today, but given the five-minute limitation that mostly Andy has placed on us, <laughs> had, had, had to do it. Um, I'll try to focus on what I've spent, you know, a good portion of my adult life doing, which is working. Uh, I work for an investment bank, and as some of you may know that 
requires a lot of hours, a lot of times, requires a lot of travel. So it's just a very almost physically demanding job. And a lot of what I'll share about my office environment is not necessarily any different from a lot of the office environments that any of us work in. I would just say that in my line of work, it's often taken to the extremes. And I think a lot of it is you just spend so much time there that even when you're not in the office, you're almost just decompressing from being in the office. You just never escape that mindset if you're not careful. And before I get into the detail that, I'll just say that I'm really, really fortunate to have a great legacy in my family. My grandparents actually uh, planted a church in Pittsburgh that has, in the 50 years since, planted something like 150 churches uh, around the world. And I think there is, when they had their 40th anniversary as a church, the church did a timeline, and the first picture in the timeline was of my grandmother because she was the one that prayed for the church to start with and kind of to plant that first church. And then on the last one, they had their estimate of number of people reached, whether through the church itself or through missions work, and it's something like 500,000 people. So it's just this overwhelming number that I can take no credit for, but it's a great example in my life of what the power of prayer can do. And it really hit me, uh, despite those numbers sounding big, uh, when my grandmother passed away at her funeral, there were so many people that I didn't know that came up to me and, and kind of said, you know, your, your grandma, your grandpa, they were the, just the best people I ever knew. They were so intentional. They cared about us. And when you hear like 50 people say that to you, are like, man, it's like, do they do anything but pour themselves into people's lives? So keep that thought in mind. And then I'll circle back to my senior year, 21 years old, knowing that I'm going to go into this banking career, I was going through a Bible study of Daniel at the time, and I very naively prayed, like, hey, God, I want to be exactly like Daniel. I want to be this guy, this young guy uh, that, in a very corporate culture in Babylon, basically distinguished himself for being intellectual, uh, for being really well-educated, for being good-looking. Um, I was like, this is, that's, that's what I want right there. Um, what I didn't probably take to heart is the process that Daniel took to be distinguished like that, which was being extremely prayerful, which was being extremely committed to obeying God, not wavering from his faith, even in the face of death multiple times throughout his life. I just kind of wanted the outputs of all of that. And I have the benefit of several years of hindsight to learn some lessons uh, that I've had along the way um, that I still go back to Daniel quite a bit to kind of rely on a good resource of how I'm supposed to approach things. But the other thing I learned is God does listen to prayer. And again, I wasn't ready for it. So long story short, uh, my job is what brought me to Houston. So the bank that I worked for wanted to get into the oil and gas business, the energy business. So I moved down to help start up that group. It was a really great opportunity for me career-wise. What was interesting is one of the reasons I went into bank was knowing it's just it's big business. There's lots of people. I wanted to be missional in that field. I felt like I've always been called into kind of corporate culture and wanted to use that as my platform to reach people and teach them about Christ and share kind of what I've experienced throughout my entire life. And I thought I was on the right track. I thought moving to Houston would be a good step in that direction, a better platform. And then for, for two years, it was basically just two of us working in a, in a one-room office, just getting the platform up and running. And I spent, you know, probably 80 to 100 hours a week, you know, just pouring myself into this job. And it was, it was a pretty dark time because all I was doing was working and I wasn't seeing anybody really on a day-to-day -day basis. I was kind of like, God, like, I thought we signed up for this together so that I could reach people. And I'm literally not seeing people. 
Um, and it's maybe just question like, what am I doing? Um, this is take, this feels like it's taking away from my Christian walk because it's just, I'm always exhausted. This just isn't making sense to me. And then it's interesting. So I got through that season. I made it. Um, I, I don't work that much anymore, fortunately. Um, and I realized looking back that what he was preparing me for in that time is I probably learned five or seven years worth of just stuff related to the business in two years. And what that's allowed me to do is it's, it gives me a knowledge base that allows me to communicate better exactly with the people that God wanted me to reach all along, which is starting to happen kind of over the last few years. So uh, to maybe explain that a little bit better, um, I would say that, so going back to the culture of kind of the career path that I work in is it's people's identity is exactly in the job. And um, they view their success at work as the number one thing that they can do in their life. And they, they view that, I mean, for their entire careers, they view it this way. And despite the fact that there can be a lot of material success and that all these people live very comfortable lifestyles, uh, there's still a lot of emptiness because they've only ever been focused on kind of the next move in their career, the next, you know, even the next day, kind of what they can achieve that day. And... I found that to be able to communicate well with them, I can't just come out and be like, hey, like I think your identity's messed up. You need to come to church with me to find your true identity. I almost need to speak their language. Like I said the, the work experience has allowed me to do that because I can relate to it. I've had shared experiences with them, uh, but I know kind of ultimately what supports me through those experiences. And it's, it's not kind of the, the dreams or the, the promise of future success. It's this God that I lean on each and every day. And... It's a very long-term missions field, I admit. Uh, I can not even count the number of times I've been rejected when it comes to having quality conversations about God or inviting people into church or my home or my community. I can count the number of people that have done it because it's a very small number. Um, but it's, like I said, it's, I naively pray at the beginning. I have the benefit of a few years of experience to know exactly how God can work in this. And it was interesting, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was in the car with Heath and Megan Reedy, and Megan just point blank asked me, uh, you know, why do you do what you do? It doesn't seem like it leaves you much time to, you know, be in your church community or be missional in other aspects of your life. And I was like, well, that's exactly it, is what I do every day is my mission field. And it's maybe a little bit unorthodox, but I like to think of I feel blessed that a lot of the stuff that comes with the job comes naturally to me. I like numbers, I like strategy, I like competition. So those are all things that I enjoy and I like the job and I kind of use the time that that gives me on the margin to then be intentional with my coworkers because it is an environment where there's not a lot of encouragement, there's not a lot of shared compassion and empathy. People are out to get one another by and large and I kind of just run counterculture to that and God has worked really well because he's taught me, uh, people never ask me, you know, what do you believe? I, I never have like layups like that where it's just, oh, well, let me tell you. Um, so I've learned to ask for the little things that can kind of steer me that way. So it's like, why are you always so calm when everybody's all stressed out? Or, um, you know, you just seem different. Um, or like, hey, your friends seem really cool. So like stuff like that, you just learn to listen for that and not let those moments get away from you. And I'll kind of... Like I said, I, I could go on forever because it's, it's been an amazing thing to kind of realize how God's been working over a period of years. Um, and as Will said earlier, sometimes you don't realize it's happening. So 
had a, a wedding shower, I guess you could call it, on Friday evening, and it was a really nice mix of people from here, uh, other friends from Houston, a lot of my coworkers, and it was really cool that nobody kind of realizing the various groups were saying this, but everybody was saying about each other, like, hey, your friends are really cool, hey, 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 and I'm kind of like, well, that's nothing to do with me, um, but just know that when I'm in a room like that, it is, it's years worth of kind of this thread being brought all together. And it's such an encouragement to me that my work is not alone. I have God at my side, but also have all of you at my side. And as you kind of bring people into these different communities, there starts to be a lot more overlap. Maybe they see things that I've said or I've done also echoed by all of you. Um, and all of a sudden it starts to make a lot more sense to them because I think they get tired of hearing it from me. They just, there, there is a dynamic in my house. They're like, yeah, yeah, you would say that. Um, and it kind of just goes over people's head, but it's that consistency of character that I hope over time is what reaches them. And it's, I said, I, I don't necessarily know how long I'm called to be exactly in this field. There are times where it just feels like I spend way too much time there and I'm just exhausted too often. Um, but it's nights like Friday evening that remind me kind of why I'm doing it and kind of just see exactly how God is moving in those times. So I, I seriously am excited to share this. If any of you would like to hear more, I'm happy to share more, but